Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Doing okay? Awesome. Welcome, welcome. Well, if you're a regular here, you're probably saying to yourself, that's not the pastor. My name is James, and it is my great privilege to be one of the overseers for Brave Church. And so Pastor Ricky is out of town getting some well-deserved rest. And so if you are a visitor with us, we're so glad you're here. And uh, I can tell you that Brave Church is a great place. I was uh, talking with the guitar player, Dan, before service. We were just, you know, chatting a little bit. And he was talking about how his family has grown and grown spiritually and matured in the Lord just since being here at Brave Church. And so if you're looking for a good spot to land, to grow a family, to grow in in your faith uh, towards the Lord, I think this is a great spot. And so uh, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm going to pray, and then uh, I believe the Lord put some stuff on my heart to share with this incredible, incredible body. So why don't you join with me in prayer? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for, what it, for uh, an incredible time of worship and lifting up your name and uh, just singing our heart to you, Lord, and telling, us how, telling you how great you are and how good you've been to us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that you would speak to them. Lord, that you would use me as your microphone, your mouthpiece, and that we would walk away changed, transformed by you, that we'd see you a little differently, Lord, and that we'd grow a little bit in our walk with you. I trust you to do that, Lord. I ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would use me, that you'd speak through me, and that um, through all that happens this morning, that you would be exalted, you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, welcome to this Independence Weekend. We're going to talk about a few things today. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's kind of our address this morning. Um, Just a quick little intro to me. My name is James. Uh, My wife and family, we were residents of the Tampa area. We were up in Wesley Chapel for about 18 years. And um, in that time, Uh, I served as a kids and youth pastor at Grace Family Church. Uh, Then I planted a church uh, March of 2009 called Grow Life Church up in Wesley Chapel. Pastored that for 10 years. And then, crazy thing, the Lord called me and my wife to Boone, North Carolina. So that's where we live. We live up in the beautiful mountains of North Carolina, western North Carolina. And I work for Samaritan's Purse. So if you're maybe familiar or not, so the great evangelist Billy Graham, his son Franklin Graham started Samaritan's Purse and uh, we do incredible work all over the world and I work with the Operation Christmas Child Project. So if you've ever seen churches, you know they assemble boxes for children all over the world. How many of you ever put together a shoebox for Operation Christmas Child? Wow, almost all of you. Thank you so much. So I am the senior regional director for Operation Christmas Child for Africa. So the last time I was here, I just was just over a region, but recently was promoted. And so I am on the delivery end. I'm responsible for about four and a half million of those shoeboxes all over the continent of Africa. And every one of those shoeboxes is cared for, prayed over, and we present the gospel of Jesus with every shoebox. And so outside of being an overseer for Brave, um, that's what I do nine to five, and it is a blast. So anyway, I'm glad to be with you this morning. All right, cool. I don't know, should I bow or I don't know. 
So I also need to say that I love your pastor. And I don't know if he's watching now online, but Ricky, I love you. He is one of the most godly, humble, real deal pastors I've ever met. You guys, are, you know how blessed you are, but I'm just telling you from a, from a third party, you guys have struck the pastoral jackpot. And uh, he is amazing, amazing. And uh, he prays when nobody's looking and he seeks the face of God for how to lead this, this church into the, the will of God. And so if I lived in this area, this is where I would go to church. Um, I'd probably bother Ricky all the time just because it's fun. All right, so enough about that. Um, I'm here just in town visiting my grandson. So in May, my son and his wife, they had their very first baby. And so at 47 years old, I'm a grandfather. What, what? Yeah, pretty excited. And uh, I, I've always had friends who are grandparents and they always show me pictures of babies. And I'm like, it's a baby. What's the big deal? But if you want to talk to me, I would love to show you pictures of my, my grandbaby. Ezra James is his name. So, okay, let's get... Uh, Let's get started. Today, um, the goal is for us to get a revelation of God's love for us. And just, I can't really do that for you. I'm going to just talk out of the Bible, share some, some truths, some principles. But I'm really leaning on the Holy Spirit to really open up our eyes, maybe peel some layers off our heart um, so that we walk in freedom as a result of the love of God. And I say that because for most of my Christian life, I gave my life to Jesus at 19. For the majority of my Christian life, I believed in lies that resulted in bondage, and that bondage was broken by the love of God. And so that's what I'm hoping will happen. I just, the devil lied to me, and I believed it, and now I want to be the devil's regret. I want him to regret that he ever lied to me. And so I'm kind of pulling the curtain back on, on some of his devices and how he works so that we can all see the truth and walk in freedom. Does that sound okay with everybody? All right, cool. Uh, I have a friend uh, up in Boone, and um, he was suffering from headaches. And, you know, he just didn't know where they're coming from, like migraines, just terrible. He went to the doctor. Turns out he had like a gluten intolerance, and every time he would eat something with gluten, it would give him a headache. And finally, he eliminated gluten out of his diet, and the headache stopped. And so I think in, in the same way, sometimes there's things that we're putting on the inside of us in belief, things that we're believing that are causing us harm. And if we just realize it, we could eliminate it, and it won't harm us anymore. And so that's kind of maybe a small illustration of where I hope to go today. But in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables that Jesus shares. There's the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and parable of the lost son. And we're going to deal in the, the last one, the parable of the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son, this morning. So if, I think Luke chapter 15 is one of the most colossally important chapters in the Bible because each of those three parables sends the same message of the love of God aimed at us. And so if you are, are new to your walk with the Lord or you're like just starting to read your Bible and you're like, where should I start? Luke chapter 15 is a great place to do some laps. All right, so we're going to put the whole 
uh, verse 11 through 24 up on the screen. You can read along in your Bible. It's a little lengthy, so bear with us. Uh, bear with me as I read it, but it's um, very, very helpful just to give you, in, uh, you know, some context. So these are the words of Jesus. Verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen? Amen. So you, you might be familiar with this passage. It's a pretty famous story. Even for non-church goers, it's the story of the prodigal son. And there's a few things in here that I think can maybe help us. And the first thing is, is the, the son, the lost son, believed some lies. First off, as we read the story, we see that he, he thought or he believed that happiness, contentment, and fulfillment is found in the things of this world. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you have spent some time in your life believing that lie. I know I have. Um, there's seasons of my life that I am not that proud of. Nothing like gross, terrible sin. But I spent thousands of dollars on stuff that I thought was important and it wasn't. When I was up in Wesley Chapel, I loved fast cars. And so I sold the car that I had and I bought another car that was a sports car and it had a turbo in it and it would go super fast and it handled great and I needed to get an exhaust for it and extra things and I was on this online forum and I was taking pictures of my car and putting it in an online forum. I was investing all this time and money to impress people that I would never meet. And I look back on it and I think, good grief, that was so foolish, like, I could have spent that money in much wiser ways, but I was wrapped up thinking things were important, and in truth, they weren't important. And we see this with the lost son, this prodigal son. He asked his father for his inheritance, which was totally against the norm of those days. Usually you waited for your father to die before you asked for the inheritance. But the son knew his dad was wealthy, and his desire he, he believed that money and living for the things of this world was going to make him happy. And so he believed the lie 
and he acted on what he believed, which is very important. The second lie he believed was distance from his father would result in greater freedom. So he asked his dad for the money. Yo, pops, give me the money. And amazingly, his father, knowing probably what would happen, gave him the money anyway. So his son took the money, and it says not many days after. So he had, you know, his portion of the inheritance sitting in his room, looking at it. How many of you know when you stare at money, it's got a voice, right? It's hard for money to be quiet. You got money in your pocket, it's always telling you what it wants, to, what, what it wants. you know, like, oh, you could have this. Have this. You could. That's why I don't carry cash with me. If I carry cash, I'll spend it. And so, anyway, but... Uh, so the, the lie that he believed was the money's there, but I can't spend it here with my father because it won't be right. If I really want freedom, I need to get out of town. And so he did. He took the money and he left. The Bible's clear uh, that he wasted all of the money in prodigal living or worldly living, probably partying, who knows, maybe prostitutes, alcohol, you name it. He lived it up. If you're taking notes, uh, something very, very important, which I have in my notes, which you might want to write down. Lies are powerless if we don't believe them. Lies are powerless if we don't believe them. Uh, I could, if I were to say, man, you sure are ugly, but if you don't believe it, then that lie just kind of bounces off of your mind and you just live, live your, your life and your day. It's no big deal. But some of us, Somebody in our life has told us, oh, you're ugly, and we believe the lie, and it's the believing of it that gives it, gives it its power. And we look at the life of the prodigal son, it's the moment he believed the lie that prodigal living was going to make him happy or bring him fulfillment. The moment he believed it is when it had power over him. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul encourages the church He says, uh, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, he's talking about forgiveness, kind of a spiritual warfare type context for this verse. But I love that he's encouraging the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul is, to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Now, maybe... Maybe you don't want to talk about the strategies of the devil on a Sunday morning. Um... When I interviewed for the job at Samaritan's Purse, the vice president of Operation Christmas Child, he asked the same question to every applicant. He says, what do you think about spiritual warfare? And when he asked me that question years ago when I interviewed, I said, my response was, if you don't think spiritual warfare is a thing, then the, de- the devil is probably eating your lunch. And I would say, if we're not aware of our adversary's devices, if we don't understand how the devil tries to lie to us and snare us and trap us and and, uh, keep us in bondage, there's a pretty good chance that we're enslaved or in bondage in some way in our lives. When we're promised freedom through the scripture, when Jesus has, has given us freedom as one of his benefits of following him, yet so many times I see the church still walking in bondage. The strategy of our adversary is these three things. He deceives, he accuses, and he shames. This is what he does. I only know because I've seen him do this in my own life. And this is what we see in the life of the prodigal son. He sows lies of deception. 
And then once you believe the deception, he accuses you for believing it, and then he heaps shame and condemnation on your life for believing it. Everybody look at my eyes for a second. I can't see yours because the lights are so bright, but just. (laughs) I believe the devil is a fisherman. In North Carolina, we have beautiful streams, like just a couple minutes from my house, my son and I, we go fishing for trout, and we just wade into the water up to our knees, and it's just beautiful. And, and, but our strategy to catch fish is we present a lure in the water that looks like something delicious. It looks like something the fish would normally eat. And if we present it in front of the fish in the right way, and the presentation is just right, and we kind of tug on the, the lure just right, we can trick the fish into believing that it's delicious, and we get him to bite. And the moment that fish bites, we get to take that fish somewhere where it doesn't want to go, namely my frying pan, my dinner plate, and my belly. And in the same way, our adversary presents lies. I'm talking daily. You need to know that the devil this morning woke up with a strategy to put lies in your life, hoping that you'll simply believe it. And in the believing is when we find out there's a hook. If you don't believe it, he's powerless. He's a deceiver. For me, some of the deception that the devil has been fishing in, my, in the pond of my life is God is mad at you. God doesn't like you. God, uh, you sinned too much. Uh, you used up all the grace and forgiveness that were allotted to your life. You used it all up and heaven is fresh out. Or your wife is not gonna be enough for you. Or if you had more money, then you would really be happy. Or if you change your circumstances, then you'll be content. These are all some of the top 10 lies that the devil, the fisherman, goes fishing in our lives with. How many of you have heard some of those lies in your, lies in your life? And man, they, they seem so truthful. They seem legit. I mean, he's not going to fish in your life. That's something that, that doesn't seem probable or even possible. He, he fishes with half-truths. He fishes and then he backs it up with different things with, and then the emotions. And he waits for us to believe. Do you know that Jesus and the devil are looking for the same thing in your life? They're looking for faith. They're looking for belief. The devil's looking for faith in your life. He's looking for you to believe a lie, and Jesus is looking for you to believe the truth. And it's our choice what we're gonna believe. Look at John chapter eight, verse 44. It says this. Now, uh, Jesus is actually squaring off with some Pharisees, and he's rebuking them. And this is what he says. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and a liar and the father of it. And he says, when he speaks of his own resources, uh, he speaks lies. And this is what the devil does. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he puts lies in our lives, in our mind. Like the battlefield is right between our ears and our thoughts. 
The battlefield is the mind. There's a great book out there called The Battlefield of the Mind. I think it's Joyce Meyer wrote it. Fantastic book in the wrestling match of, of your mind. But the devil is the father of lies and he's fishing in our minds and thoughts will come. And it's amazing to me how loud those thoughts are. And they seem so loud that you're like, man, they must be true. Do not be deceived. So I want to tell you a quick little story. August 28th, 2020. There, uh, so I'm at work. My oldest or my youngest son is at home. Uh, he's now 18, so he was 16 then. Uh, he was home and he texted me and I have the text message right here. And he said, Dad, our address is 273 Buckshot Circle, right? This was at 12.19 p.m., around lunchtime, August 20th, 2020. I, I text back, yeah, why? He says, my friend might come over later. And I, at, you know, 12.21, I say, what time? Boy slash girl, question mark. He says, IDK. For those of you not millennials, that means I don't know. He says, I don't know, and it's a girl. And all of a sudden, my, my blood pressure starts rising. I said, no girls over if mom and I are not home at 1221. No response. Okay, question mark, 1223. No response. I call him at 1224. And, you know, after like the most amount of rings, he picks up. And I'm like, Aiden, you know that there's no girls allowed in the house while mom and I aren't there. You know this, right? He was home because, you know, of COVID, they were, school was at home. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, she decided not to come over. And so he was acting really weird. So I hung up the phone, and I'm like, ah, I, maybe I should run home. Ah, I just, something was weird. Something was funny, but I said, no, he's a trustworthy kid. I think he's gonna be okay. So anyway, I let it go, but I'm still thinking about it for the rest of the day. At 4.30, I get off of work, I race home. As I pull into the driveway, there's a strange, a strange vehicle in my driveway a maroon minivan with Texas license plates. And I'm like, what in the world? So I run in the house, Aiden, Aiden, I'm screaming for him, no answer, no answer. I go to his room and the door is locked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the parents in the room, you know, you know. And so I'm like, boom, 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 Aiden, open the door. I'm like ready to rip his throat out. And there's no answer, no answer. And I am like livid. I mean, just, I don't get angry, but when I, I'm disrespected by my kids, when, I, when they disobey on purpose and they ignore me and don't respond, th that, the trifecta of those things just sends me over the edge. So I was, I was gonna go to jail. I was gonna abuse my kid. I was gonna punch him in the face. And so I wiggle the door. Finally, <laughs> the door unlocks and I swing the door open and instead of my youngest son, my oldest son was standing there who lives in Tampa. And my rage turned to confusion, turned to delight, turned to tears because my son was there. And he was saying, Dad! And my sons had pranked me. Yeah. Yeah, my two boys got together and said, let's prank Dad. Right? Totally not forgiven. <laughs> Jesus forgives, but not, not me. But... So anyway, long story short, my son was just had great news. He was in town. He surprised us. It was awesome. And, 
But what they did, they presented something to me that looked true and I believed it. And I acted on the belief and everything was headed 100 miles an hour in that direction. It was the lie, it was belief, action, and then emotions followed. And I'm telling you, this is how deception works. The devil fishes in our life with something that looks true. We believe, we act, and then all of a sudden the emotions get involved and we have a hard time unhooking our trailer from the lie we've believed. And I think one of the things we can draw out from the story of the prodigal son is, Lord, help us not to believe the lies. All right, so let's move on. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. So this is last, in the last uh, verse in the Bible. This is the words of John. Uh, he writes, he goes, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation is strength. Uh, they don't have the whole thing in the back. I'm going to have to read it out of my Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before God day and night has been cast down. There's a day coming where our adversary who accuses will be cast down. It's important to understand that the devil not only accuses us to us, but he accuses us to God. So in other words, he stands before God and he says, do you see what they did? Look at the lies they believed. Look at the sin they've committed. He's an accuser. He's always accusing. And the accusation is nonstop all the time. And I lived much of my life under the, the bondage of accusation. And then the last thing that comes is shame and guilt, condemnation. And I think there might be, in, 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 in this room, there might be some of you that walked in here today and at some point you believed a lie, maybe you acted on it, and then you felt accusation. You can hear the accuser, our adversary, saying, how dare you, look what you did. You know what? The devil doesn't fight fair. Think about it. He puts stuff in our lives, thoughts, deceit, deception, and he's just hoping that we believe and bite. And as soon as we did, he's like, ooh, ooh, look, look, ew, he, ooh, accusation. It's like what kids do, right? Brothers and sisters, they try to trick each other. And then when they do, they're like, ooh, mom, dad, look, look, ooh. The devil's a weasel. He's not fair. Now, the Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? This is huge. Look at my eyes. Condemnation is illegal in the kingdom of God. In other words, if you walked in here feeling guilty and shame, it's only because the accuser has been at your door, knocking on the door of your heart. Something, a few things that... that we're going to turn a corner here, and it's very, very uh, important to understand. Jesus isn't surprised by your sin, or even when you believe a lie. He's not surprised. We think he is, because we're surprised. 
How many of you have ever done something you believed in a lie? Maybe you had a, a sin habit in your life or you've seen a lack of freedom and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, I, man, and it's a, it's a surprise to us, so we think it's a surprise to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that your sin doesn't take him by surprise. Do you understand that? Does anybody, everybody get that? Like, when, when you said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you, it's not a surprise to him. He knew, but he said, I saw the day you were born. I know the day you're going to die. I see everything in between, and guess what? I still want you. The father in, in, in Luke chapter 15, you think he knew that his son was going to take off and spend all the money? Of course he did. He knew his son was going to go live like a crazy man for a while, and he still gave him the money because he knew that his love would draw him back. Think about it. You got this, this young man in the story, the lost son. Uh, he had spent all he had, no money left. All the, the friends left with the money. And, he, and in order just to make it, he was feeding swine in a field. Now, for a young Jewish boy, feeding swine was like absolutely off limits, out of bounds. But he, he did it anyway just because... He had nothing, and he would have loved to eat the pig food, which also would have been way out of bounds for a Jewish young man. But my, one of my favorite verses, I think, is verse 20, and he says, but he, or verse 17, but he came to himself. Think of what must have happened in the mind of this young man. Guilt and shame and condemnation because he wasted his father's inheritance. He's far away from his father, but in one moment, he came to himself. In other words, instead of thinking about his situation, he thought about the love of his papa. And honestly, that's all it takes is for a shift in our mind to go from condemnation to conviction. You know, I was talking with Ricky about this message, and he said, man, I don't know that I've ever thought about the difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, like when you're convicted, conviction moves you toward the heart of the Father. Condemnation moves you away from the heart of the Father. It was condemnation that, that caused that young man to run from the Father and, for, and to stay with the pigs. But in the turning, it's like he knew that he had to go back. And so the great thing about God is you can turn towards him at any moment. Like if you walked in here burdened and heavy and feeling guilt and shame, guess what? All of that stuff is not, is not for you. It's not from God. And in a moment today, and even at the end of the service, we're gonna give opportunity for you to turn back to the Father and say, Father, I reject everything that I've done before. I believed lies and I need to come back home. I need my heart and my mind to be close to you. And it can happen right now. I love this story. The father, he's not surprised by our sin, and it's his love that sets us free. He knows our weaknesses. Your failures do not take him by surprise. They take us by surprise. I am way weaker than I want to think I am. And when I see weakness and immaturity and rebellion in my life, and I make a wrong choice and I do the wrong thing, it surprises me, and I'm like, oh, certainly God can't love this. And then the Holy Spirit gently reminds me, as I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is gently reminding you, that God's not surprised. And he said yes to the whole package. He didn't 
He didn't just say yes to the good part of you. He said yes to the bad part. He didn't just say yes to the Sunday morning you. He said yes to the Friday night you. And that you is all the same person. And it doesn't bother him because he sees the beginning from the end. He sees our lives like a comic strip. This is where they're born. This is where they die or, or Jesus returns. And here's where we are. I see the whole thing. And it's all beautiful because it's all mine. Our sin isn't beautiful to him, but he's not afraid of it because he already made provision for all of it. When I sin, I don't throw myself into condemnation because I, I think, wow, Lord, you knew that was coming and you still said yes to me. You knew I was gonna fail today and you still love me. The problem is, is we get locked into performance-based love as humans we do it with our kids. You're good, you get an ice cream. You're bad, you're grounded. It's performance-based. Maybe one day in the middle of our, of our kids' sin, we should look at them and say, you know what? I love you no matter what. Nothing you do will change my love for you. That's the kingdom kind of love. Now, but because I love you, I'm gonna spank your bottom, right? And all the parents said, Amen. I want to just draw a couple more uh, points from the statements of the son, and then we'll wrap it up. If you look at, the, uh, at what the son said, so he's sitting in the field with the pigs, and he, he rehearses what he's going to say to his father. He says, I know what I'm going to do. The, the servants of my father, they got plenty to eat. I'm going to, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say I've sinned, number one. I'm going to say I'm not worthy, number two. And I'm going to say, number three, I'm going to become, make me like one of your servants um, and then take me back. So the son goes, goes back home. Look back in Luke chapter 14, or chapter 15. So verse 20, the best verse in the chapter. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You need to understand that in the culture back then, it was totally improper for a Jewish man to run. You just don't do it. But he ran to his son. And the father, you, you get the idea that every day he stood on the front porch and he scanned the horizon for his son. We serve a front porch papa who this morning was standing on the front porch scanning the horizon of your heart, looking for you to stop believing the lie and run to him. And even just take one step and he's gonna run, falling on his neck, that means he gave him a hug and he kissed him. He rejoiced that his son had returned. Now this is, the son starts rehearsing what he had practiced. Listen, at, look at how it goes, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, here's the number one, the first one, I have sinned. This is a great way to come back to the father. Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I've believed a lie. I've acted on it. I've acted on it. Number two, I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's okay to say too, because he's the one that makes us worthy. In and of ourselves, we're not. And so you can say, Lord, I'm not worthy, but because of your blood, you've made me worthy. That's okay. But if you notice, he never gets to the third statement. 
He never, the father doesn't let him say, let me work as one of your servants. Let me earn your affection. Never lets him say it. Cuts him off right there, says, stop, bring the ring, bring the robe, get the sandals, kill the cow. We having a party. And in here is what I find a huge temptation for followers of Jesus. We, we, we can say, yeah, Lord, I've sinned. I'm not worthy. But we want to work our way into his good graces. Let me fast. Let me read the Bible more. Let me go to church. Let me earn your love. And I'm telling you, the Father will not accept earned love or love that you got to work for because that is not the love that he deals in. He deals in agape, which is unconditional, unconditional, unearned. That's what grace is. The Father pours grace on us, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. You can't pray enough to earn God's love. You can't read the Bible enough to earn God's love. You can't come to church enough. You can't carry Pastor Ricky's Bible. There's nothing you can do enough to earn God's love. It's already aimed at you. He is standing on the porch looking for you to simply receive it. Lord, would you give us a revelation of your love? Help us, Lord, to know that the deception, the accusation, and the condemnation of our adversary is cut when we just look at your love. So the love of the Father is the antidote to all those three tactics of our adversary. Our adversary tries to deceive. Our adversary accuses. Our adversary brings condemnation. And the love of God cuts through all of it because God sees exactly where we are and he loves us anyway. Jews, you can come on up. We'll bring it into a, for a close. The love of God sets us free. Maybe you're here today and you've believed some of the lies of the enemy. Maybe you believe that you'll never have enough. Maybe you believed you'll never be enough. I believe that one a lot. Maybe there's areas of compromise in your life and you've, you've bought the lie, I'm never going to be free. It's a lie. It's a lie. Maybe you believe the lie that God's plans for you aren't the best plans. That's a lie. You know that God's plans for your life and my life is what we would choose if we could see the whole picture. We only see up until today, and so we're not sure, but I'm telling you, God's good, and his plans for us are good, and when we trust him and trust our lives to him, When it's all said and done, we'll look back and say, whoa, yep, they were the best plans. And my prayer for us is that as we understand the love of God, that the hook of the lures will be removed. Maybe you've believed a lie in here today. You've seen the lie played out in your life. Maybe it's resulted in divorce or debt or depression didn't mean for all those to start with D but us pastors like that stuff um, there's I believe the Lord is speaking to us of what happens when we believe a lie and freedom is available to us 
And freedom looks like, looked like what it did for the prodigal son. Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I believed a lie. And even though I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm coming to you, Papa. I'm turning to you. And I believe your love can set me free. I believe you can break that you can redeem the mistakes that I've made, even the choices that I've made, you can redeem all of it. And you can take a pile of junk of my life and make it beautiful. If you're in here today, will you close your eyes for just a minute? I want you to pray just a simple prayer, actually just a question. Will you ask the Father what lies you're believing? Just ask him, say, Lord, what lies Am I believing? And then listen. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you believe the lie that life without God is better than life with God. Or maybe you've been too proud to surrender your life to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as a man. He was fully God, fully man. And he paid so all of this could be possible. He paid so that every lie in our life could be broken. He paid so that even the mess we've made of our own lives could be redeemed and beautiful. Jesus' payment on the cross and his resurrection makes it all possible for us to believe truth and for us to live in the freedom of the love of God. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, now would be a great opportunity. Just say something very simple. Say, Lord, today I give you my life. I surrender it all to you. My past, all my mistakes, all my sin, times where I believed a lie, all of today and all of my future, I give it all to you. And I ask that you would come and make your home in me. Make me brand new on the inside. And for those of you that maybe when you ask the Lord what lie you're believing, it, it came back like you heard a whisper saying, this is the lie you're believing. Ask the Lord one more question. Lord, what's the truth? The Bible says when you know the truth, it'll set you free. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, those that have believed lies, even myself, Lord, I know the lies that I've believed and they're so tempting. They look so delicious. But I pray, Lord, that you would break the power of every lie and that like the prodigal son, we would turn and head towards our Father and that your love would set us free. The revelation of the love of God, that you love us right where we are, just as we are. You love us perfectly. No one can love us like you, Lord. You love us and you see the whole picture. Nobody loves us like you. And I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, in the love of God, that you'd help us to know your love more.
Help us, Lord. Thank you for freedom that comes from growing in the knowledge of your love. Thank you that you stand on the porch of heaven and you look for any heart that's turning towards you. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. You're so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, Lord. If you're here today and you gave your life to Jesus for the first time, there's a connection card in your seat. If you'll fill that out and hand it into Brave Central just so they can walk you through a path of growing as a Christian. And lastly, at the very end of the service, they're going to have folks down here. Maybe a lot of times when we believe lies, it creates some, some fallout, some turmoil, some damage. And we would love to just pray with you and just believe God for healing and restoration from believing in lives. You know, when you bite a hook, it leaves, sometimes it leaves a little bit of a scar. And God has plans to heal all that. If you need healing in your body, guess what? God does that too. Maybe today's your day where he'll, he'll supernaturally heal your body just to demonstrate how much he loves you. He still does that. God bless you guys. So glad you're here. Turn it over to our host.